0: Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, season three. You know, nor- normally when shows go from one season to another, there's something different. But this is, you know.
1: I mean, that shirt looks fresh.
0: Well, that's the only new thing in my life, really, is this shirt, to be honest with
1: you. Yeah, but that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Yeah. Like, it's it 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 looks like it represents something new. Yeah. It's a little fruity. Yeah. I mean, not in the, in the gay
0: sense. No. Just in the, you know, fruity sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> Would you just look at it? I mean, it's got fruit on it. I think fruit fruit-bearing plants. That's right. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Welcome back to the Dominion podcast. And the train has derailed already. <laughs> That's the shortest gap between opening monologue and uh, derailment.
1: How was how was your time off, man? You've been time off. What do you mean time off the pod? You've oh, been working hard.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, summertime for HVAC guys. Is pretty busy. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks have slowed down a little, but uh, other than that, nothing's really changed for me. Other than uh, this giant hole in my life where the podcast
1: used to be. Yeah, come on. So back to that i'm glad you're eager to get back at it because i am too man how about you how was the how was the time it was good Uh, the summer was a change of pace back obviously teaches and so the summers are off so we just took more time family time a lot of intentional time this school year is i mean it is for everyone but um certainly for us too it's it's you know all systems firing yeah and um Which is good, but it's nice to have a different season too with a bit more time. So, Mm. took some time off, you know, unplugged for a little bit and uh, eager to get back at things. Did you
0: get much reading done?
1: Um, I did do reading. Um, When I was on my break, I read the biography of Alfred the Great. Alfred the Great, nice. Yeah, and I read, I'm still working through the OG. Yeah, Metaxas's (laughs) um, biography of. Bonhoeffer. Nice. And uh, something else as well. What else is it? Yeah, those are, those are, I tried to shift to biography. Yeah. Just to change the pace. A lot of my reading is kind of like, I mean, obviously I'm in the scripture, but as far as extra biblical, a lot of it is, uh, it feels like, For things I need to know, like it's immediate needs.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way.
1: Yeah, so it's I I I try to discipline myself to be reading things which are not driven by an immediate need, although they're helpful. Yeah, but it's like okay, this is just you know putting roots down deeper, getting the well expanded a bit more. Yeah, fiction does that for me. Yeah, I I just can't. What do you like for fiction? Um.
0: I mean i love some of my some of my favorite books would be uh lord of, i mean lord of the rings the yeah trilogy is awesome tale of two cities one of my favorites robinson crusoe right i like those old timey adventure stories right. like they're they're so engaging yeah it's so good um
1: i haven't read tale of two cities sad to say ben's recommended it a bunch of times it's and I Ryland, mean, it's amazing yeah it's an
0: amazing book yeah uh so so well written i mean he's a he's a master um Yeah, lots. I like I like those types of classics. I like some like sci fi stuff too. I used to read some of that. I love C. S. Lewis's sci fi trilogy. Yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah. So yeah, I like to escape. Moby Dick. I just I finished that a while back too. Yeah, the big ones. Yeah, the big ones. Classics.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're gonna wear a Hawaiian shirt, you gotta like, you gotta also be reading you know yeah, like you right. have to display have to, your I class to, i have to balance you have to balance it out. balance the
0: redneck with something a little classier yeah yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. which you do oh man <laughs> but speaking of back to school back shout to school. out to the unofficial
0: official sponsor that's right unofficial as of yet kccs court the classical christian school into our fifth year it feels packed in there man we got we got lots of new students. We expanded by 33% roughly. Maybe yeah. a little more than that, 35%. Yeah, it was
1: year. uh it was it's all systems firing again. Yep. We've got some new faculty this year and um still an exciting place to be. Yep. You guys were in there today?
0: Yeah. I had a slow day, so I thought I'd come in and, and do some maintenance and some equipment, you know? The maintenance guy. I got an apprentice to train up to. I gotta train him how to change filters and yeah. all that fun stuff, you know.
1: And he got to see the place.
0: That's right. He got to see it. he he'd been in there before too, but um oh it was it was so great. You walk in and there's just kids running around having a good time and Yeah. Yeah, it was great.
1: So encouraging. The Lord's really working. Amen. And um yeah, we love the prayers and the support that people give us. A lot we get a lot of support from people who do not have children in our school. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of grandparents help out, but people who just love what we're doing and and it's you know, it's helped us to keep doing what we're doing. In fact, yeah. we couldn't be doing it. No, we couldn't. And Christian education overall just can't survive if it's a few families, um, you know, paying tuition and stuff like this has got, it has to move into a community project. Yeah. And uh, like any good work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're thankful we got, we got young Belgrave there again this yes, year. Yes.
0: Young Atticus.
1: Young Atticus.
0: Not not so young Atticus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's young, but he doesn't seem young.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's
1: technically a man now. Yes. Yeah. He's a young man. Though. A young man, yes. <laughs> He's a young, wise, responsible man. <laughs> yes, he is. Dude, when I see Atticus, I'm just like, you can be that when you're that age? Yeah. It's a bummer, eh? It is, yeah. It's like, what, what, what were we like when we were that Dude, age? <laughs> I, I can Not yeah, that. No, you don't want to know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, that's off air. <laughs> we'll skip that for another episode. But it
1: is. But in all seriousness, it is encouraging. I mean, Pastor Jason and Carrie are doing an amazing... They're very intentional with their kids. Yeah. And you just do see the fruit of that, and it's it's inspiring. It's like, yeah, you the culture, the world tells you that you have to be a doorknob until you're like thirty five. Yep. And it's, it's it's like it's
0: okay to just smoke pot and play video games until you're thirty five. Yeah, like that's what's expected of you.
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and there's this young guy who's very, and he's serious. Like a lot of young men too, you you live, I mean, we like joking and levity and stuff, but they don't know how to move beyond that, Mm -hmm. right? They don't know how to have serious conversations. They haven't thought about any deep things. They just kind of, they waste their time and they joke a lot. Yeah. So yeah, you can raise boys who are serious and disciplined and-
0: got gravitas.
1: Gravitas. That's it. That's, That's the word. That's it,
0: and uh, of course, our official sponsor is Tristan. Still, our official sponsor. He I'm is just the assuming up, the upper forty. The upper forty lends us. They're the good studio to us, uh, pretty much whenever we ask. Yeah, we yeah. got a lot of pull around here, and sometimes we even get fed snacks. Yeah, every now and then we just walk downstairs, and Sarah Ann's like, "Here, eat some pie or something. Have some fresh vegetables." Yeah, so, we're
1: not really partaking, but he he offers us whiskey. Yeah, like we get we get some real star treatment around here
0: it's okay it's uh it's non-alcoholic whiskey yes that's for all the baptists
1: listening <laughs> hey i'm a baptist and i'm yeah, cool with that hey
0: you ever hear that joke uh why do you always bring two baptists with you when you go fishing why because if you bring one he'll drink all your beer <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh man good ones and with that, we're back in your life. Yeah, we're back, and uh, happy to be providing date night entertainment for uh, Ryan and Jenna, and uh, any other. Couples.
1: We need to get some listener testimonials. <laughs> we need to. We need them to. We need people, <laughs> and specifically, we need these people to write in. We're going to r- read it for our audience next week. We about, need to have
0: Officer Black on to talk to us. Officer
1: Black, tell us what the Dominion Podcast has meant to your marriage. <laughs>
0: You guys can come on and do a counseling session live uh on the Dominion podcast. It'll be great. love it <laughs> by the way uh Ryan and Jenna are uh proud new parents again yeah sure Sadie do. she is adorable yeah anyway praise God for that healthy healthy baby healthy mama
1: praise God for enormous fans too yep yep I'm not gonna lie that that's a sick fan
0: I mean. If you're willing to actually use your date night to watch us, just bloviate on YouTube, then you got to be a pretty big fan.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we wanted to yeah. talk tonight about um, something a bit more serious. So we were just we're just getting so much publicity from the CBC. So it's shout out. We're <laughs> in an in, in indirect way. We're kind of. Publicly funded, like if they, if they're publicly funded, yeah. and they advertise for us, right. technically in some fashion,
0: right? So we're like we're plundering the Egyptians, is yeah. That what that's what saying? it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't mention the pod, but they mentioned Ben. That's right. And uh, the the um, episode dropped on the national the other night about the drag story hours that are happening, the growing opposition. What was it was the word they used it was a very
0: I don't know pejorative way of of saying it.
1: Yeah, Maybe the rising the, probably the rising hate or something yeah, the like rising that. Yeah, hateful opposition of drag story hour. Yeah. And the drag story hour has really become the cultural um flashpoint. Yeah, flashpoint. Yeah and it's the drag culture is is the climax of progressive values it's not a fringe thing no. that some people do i mean this is the the natural end of where progressive ideology goes it's perfectly consistent with what they believe yep and it's the working but a lot of normal people and certainly any moral person is just not okay with that kind of um not only perversity but child abuse that takes place yeah and so it's it's there's there's this cultural phenomenon which takes place which is really a religious conflict um it's well
0: you don't have that kind of fervor for something if you don't have a religious uh, commitment to it
1: yeah there's it's it is their sacrament right like this is the drag story hour is the sacrament of the progressive religion, and it's the same with abortion, right? These two rituals, they protect at all costs because it's it's an embodiment of their their religious values, right? And their belief system, and their self identity, and their worship, all of these things. Yeah, um, I'm just going
0: to stop you for a second because a lot of people, um, and maybe some of the CBC folk are going to be listening to this. So I'm going to ask you this: somebody like that would say, "I'm not religious." So why do you use the term religious to describe the things they believe?
1: Well, the term religious in contemporary parlance, really what people mean is like, I don't ascribe to one of the top five religions, right? right? So they mean I'm not a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew, a practicing Jew, um, Hindu, something like this. Right. Right. But religion is not confined to those things. It's not synonymous with a particular expression.
0: It's not even synonymous with a a particular deity.
1: Yeah, you can't even say, not all religions even have a deity. That's right. So, okay. religion is also not synonymous, um, yeah, with a belief that there is a God. Uh, religion is just the... You know the expression, the public expression of your values and your worship, or what you ascribe ultimate worth to. Right. So that could be the living God of the Bible, right? Who is the true and living God, or it could be the person in the mirror. Um, right. But those, but you, it's inescapable that you will express. That you will ascribe value to something, ultimate value to something, and that there will be a corresponding praise and devotion given to that thing, right? And that there is going to be out flowing from all of that is a system of ethics, right? And
0: sacrament and worship, and a all sacrament
1: of that. and a way a- of-
0: acknowledged or not, and that's that's the point we would make is that they wouldn't acknowledge it to be worship, yeah. But when we look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, we would say that is worship. Yeah. It's idolatrous worship.
1: Yeah. And part of this is perpetuated by the idea of secular, the word secular. I mean, the reporter even asked Ben about Christian nationalism in the context of a secular nation. And and basically what she was getting at is, you know, not, it's not just the idea that um, Christianity shouldn't be the governing religion, but so-called secularists believe that secularism it, it's possible an absence of religion yes it's yeah. an absence of religion and that's just actually not possible mm-hmm. and i don't mean it's not ideal or i don't like it i mean it's its literally not possible because right. you can't be irreligious right you can just be one religion or another religion whatever it you is You can have
0: an idolatrous religion or the the true religion
1: yeah. yeah um and i kind of ironically the the early christians were referred to as atheists I mean, mm-hmm. we were the ones who people thought were, were irreligious, right? Because we didn't worship in the way that they thought that we should, you know, acknowledging the plurality of the gods and the supremacy of the emperors. Um, the the, the emperor antigen, and, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and stuff like this. So, um, anyhow, we can't get around the fact that we are religious, that there's going to be some, you know, standard by which we judge truth, and that we develop ethics and morality, and that we ascribe worth and express praise and all of these things. The question is just which religion will it be? And the secular materialist religion places man at the center. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a form of self worship. And uh, drag story hours is the 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 climactic ritual in this religion. Yeah, it's the. It's the refusal to acknowledge any external limits or authority to define me, right? Self-expression becomes a paramount virtue. Right. And, well, why is self-expression so important? Well, because I am God, Yeah, essentially, because I have the right—and then these are framed as rights— it's only permissible for you to—it's actually a human right for you to be able to express your feelings, desires, mm-hmm. self-identity. And it's a human
0: right for you to have to acknowledge my self-identity. Yeah. Right? That's the next step in that, that whole argument chain. It's like, yes. I have the right to define myself, but if you don't acknowledge my right— or acknowledge what it is I'm saying about myself. You're denying my existence and my me, my value and all of that.
1: Yes, which is why they jump then to the the language of a genocide. Like yeah. we're we're canceling them, we're destroying we're, them, yeah. we're committing crimes against them. We're saying they don't exist. Not be yeah, not yeah. because we are literally doing those things, but by failing to acknowledge them as they desire to be acknowledged. Yeah, it's 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 tantamount to. Uh, genocide, which is just a – it's not only juvenile, it's a—it's just an evil thing to say. Mm-hmm. Like, think of how narcissistic that is, that you need to agree and affirm with my sense of reality. Otherwise, you are on the same level of someone who goes and wipes out a village of men, women, and children. Like, it's just – give me a break, mm-hmm. right? It's its so narcissistic. So, anyways, they ran this documentary, and um, Ben Inglis – who um writes weekly for us associate pastor at Hill City, good friend all around good guy um he has really led the charge publicly against this in Peterborough mm-hmm. and um you know articulating articulating just the Christian position on these things and basically and even just just a rational position on this and and biblical ethics so they sat down and interviewed him.
0: For about twenty five minutes,
1: yeah, right? Twenty five minutes, and they ran a couple clips of it. I think
0: they used about twenty
1: seconds. Worth. Yeah, and what was um, really encouraging about that was that they showed the clip where Ben is asked, you know, what what is the end game here? You know, what's the goal of this whole thing? And on top of saying that he hopes that you know the drag is you know permanently erased from the public consciousness. Um, he says that the only way out of this is repentance, like the goal here is repentance it 's not it 's not uh coercing people it 's not merely establishing um policy, although I would love for there to be public policy that prohibits groomers and pedophiles from influencing children yeah um but it 's ultimately repentance mm-hmm. and and this raised for me the idea that i'd like to explore a bit more tonight about how the gospel is inherently a public call to repentance because when he said that a member in our church john um wrote the members of our church and he he made the he made the um observation that you know this was broadcast on the national i mean no one watches cbc anymore but in theory this is a you know coast to coast broadcast that takes place and and Ben was publicly calling everyone to repentance, and he said, "You know when is a public a national call for repentance gone out mm-hmm. in our country and um we you know we're a tiny church and we're 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 nobodies, and it's interesting that that God raised Ben up to to give that call, but it made me think of how rare it is." To hear a call to repentance in the public square. Hmm. And by public square I'm not, I'm not actually saying Like standing on the street corner. Yeah, I, I don't mean like you're on the national or you're a politician. I just mean any public discourse, anything that's not private, right? You just actually don't hear that. And I think that that's a major problem. And uh, I don't I mean, I can speculate as to why that is. I think um one repentance itself goes against the ethos of our culture's religion, mm-hmm. which which again um, values self expression above all else. In, in, in this in this religious system, the word love, the concept of love, is reduced to affirmation, right? Yeah. So to love someone means to affirm them, affirm their lifestyle. Affirm their um, beliefs, affirm their practices, and if you don't affirm them, you don't love them, you hate them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, well, in this in this belief system, repentance isn't is the antithesis because re- repentance means to turn from, and it it means that there is something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. That you need to turn away from. It's the antithesis to affirmation. Repentance is the antithesis to affirmation. The other particular problem we have as Canadians is we're very relativistic. So it's it's inappropriate for you to impose your beliefs on someone else. And this is where the public piece comes in. They don't want to talk about. Because Christians will shake and nod their head and agree and you know, eyes glaze over when you say with Luther all the Christian life is one of repentance. It's like yes and amen. But when have you heard that in the public square? Like when, or or that's not just for us to say to one another who all believes mm-hmm. this. We're to go out into the world. And a lot of Christians say, we're supposed to go out and preach the gospels. But yeah, but what is the gospel? It's repent and believe right. the gospel. Yeah. There's no gospel message proclaimed without a call to repentance. That's right. It's, it's not complete. And this is why, you know, John the Baptist preached repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus preached repent and and they did so publicly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think as we, did
0: all the prophets. In the as did all
1: yeah. the prophets, yeah. and Jesus Christ was crucified publicly because of his public ministry. Keep in mind, Jesus lived for like thirty plus years before he before he got in trouble. Yeah, and he went into the wilderness and and was tempted, and he he succeeded where Adam failed, and he was filled with the Spirit, and he was sent into a public ministry and um, Jesus first you know one of his first uh, what well, the first examples of his public ministry was in the synagogue and he read from the scroll of Isaiah mm-hmm. and the the preaching was such an offense to people that they tried to kill him right then and there like mm-hmm. that was like right at the beginning of his ministry um, we are not used to that. In, in the western in the West anymore we're not used to that in Canadian culture for sure and I actually think a lot if not most Christians if a Christian was to actually say you need to repent of your homosexuality you need to repent of your greed you need to repent of your lying you need to repent of the sins that everyone is allowed to just do yeah um, people would not only think, they wouldn't just think about whether you're right or not. They'd just be like, you're offside. Like, yeah. you're not allowed to do that. I mean, how many podcasts do you listen to? Well, I do anyways. When I listen to just unbelievers, everyone now qualifies everything they say. Like, I'm not telling you what to do, but I just mean, yeah. like whenever they get close to a moral judgment, it's always like immediately yeah. back away. And, it, and it's just like, it's this toxic cloud of relativism
0: yeah. I think it's because everybody knows that they're guilty of all this
1: stuff. We know like that there's, yeah, we know that we have to make moral judgments, but we know that we're guilty if we do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you know, you're doing the very same thing that that person's doing, are you going to call them out on it? Yeah. No, you're going to couch it and, and make excuses for it. And yeah. Say, yeah. Maybe in this, you know, whatever, you're going to be mealy mouth and offer up a word salad. Um, maybe we could focus on this though. Uh, We've been talking a lot over the last three years now uh, on this podcast about the duty of the Christian to um, have a faith that is not confined to, you know, in between your ears and inside your heart mm-hmm. and inside your home, but it's it's meant to go out and be part of your work and part of your friendships and family, uh, and it's meant to interact with politics and all of this other stuff. Uh I suppose what we need to do next is say that the life of the church should also have that sort of outward focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's the inward teaching focus of the church and discipleship, but there's also that prophetic role, and perhaps we've been neglecting that. Uh, is that kind of what you're getting at? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think the public prophetic role. Um, and again, I, I don't even think everyone plays a different role Role here, like I don't expect someone who's raising five kids, uh, to to have the same public um, influence or voice or opportunity that that someone who like even like me, like a pastor, someone who's set aside for the preaching of God's word and the teaching of God's word, and for prayer. I think that more pastors ought to see themselves as public theologians. Mm. Like a lot of Christians would say what Ben is doing is a distraction from ministry. Yeah. That that's what I'm getting at. It's like right, that right. is such a bad perspective. Like what or is it it's a distraction from pastoral ministry or he's engaging in politics? It's like no, man, this is gospel ministry, mm-hmm. and any ministry that is purely confined to a private ministry or even just within the walls of the church, it's not, strictly speaking, a gospel ministry. The gospel is a public ministry. Now, that does not mean that every single pastor has to engage publicly in the same way at all. Um, and there's no indication that even all of the disciples had the same degree of influence, Um you know, like, clearly Peter was more influential among the Jews, and Paul was set aside in a, u- in a unique way to the Gentiles, and God raises up people for different roles at different times. Uh, yes and amen. And, and so, I'm I'm actually kind of against this, you know, professional Christians come in and guilt all these other Christians that they need to be evangelizing all the time publicly, and it's like, well, yes, I need to care about evangelism. I need to be praying and trying to reach loss as I can, but a, a stay-at-home mom who's homeschooling her kids is not going to have the same opportunities or responsibility right. as a guy who's literally set aside to do that. Right. Um, but I think that even amongst, say, the pastors, the people who God has sent to do those things, missions, mission workers, uh, just Christians and who feel that they have the capacity to do that in the gifting, um, Public calls to repentance are just not common, and I think that that's a problem. I was my buddy Josh sent me the story today from uh, Reformation Heritage Books. Just did a little a little thing on Chrysostom, mm. and I've heard of John Chrysostom as the uh, the golden tongue preacher, yeah. right? But that was actually that was a reference to him after his death. Mm. And the mo- man, the more you study church history. Um, we, are, I feel like I've been given a very romantic view of church history. A lot of these guys, when they were actually ministering, were not respected. We talked about Spurgeon before. Yeah. Engaged, Athanasius. Athanasius. Even, uh,
0: even uh, the Nicene Creed, when it was written, was... The minority position.
1: Yeah, the minority position. It was not accepted for 80 years. And all of the prophets that were killed, like they're they're decorating the tombs and and it's just like, you guys do know when those guys actually showed up, y'all killed all of them, right? Like you didn't honor them. You know, you didn't respect them. It's like this later thing. We
0: shouldn't expect it to be any different. No. I mean, maybe there's times of extended peace and gospel... um, effectiveness where the the leaders in the church are respected during their time but
1: that's not the norm. So I want right. to read this excerpt that the Reformation heritage books had. Um, Chrysostom was ordained in 386 in Antioch where he became renowned for incisive expository preaching. He simply proclaimed the gospel and its implications for all of society's pet sins. So Chrysostom saw no reason to change his message when he was kidnapped and made Archbishop of Constantinople in 398. <laughs> Got kidnapped to be a bishop somewhere. Yeah, this guy <laughs> was hard. But um, <laughs> no. it's interesting there because there was a great article that went around about the rise and fall of the gospel-centered elite or yeah, something yeah. like this. And the gospel-centered movement was a reductionist theological movement, yeah. right? And you saw this in a variety of ways, but one of them is just the total inability to apply it to apply yeah. a lot of these things uh, in in a very in a biblical or practical way mm-hmm. that wasn't just, you know, when you run into this situation, think about how you're justified by faith. It's like no, that is not what the Bible says. This is the only thing you do in every situation. You apply the gospel practically by calling people to repent of their sins. This is what John the Baptist is. This is what Mm. Jesus did. They keep, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Soldiers, you're supposed to do this. Stop extorting people, right? It's like practically this is what it looks like. In his new role, John attempted to reform the moral climate of the capital city. Well, that's legalistic, right? How could you? Why would you seek to reform he should have the moral preached climate? Just preach the
0: gospel, and you know why is he worrying about politics?
1: Yeah, yeah. and and, more, and morals. Like, isn't that yeah. just moralism? But met strong opposition. The Empress uh, Eudoxia called for John's removal because he preached against the greed of the rich. So he hit a nerve. The local clergy and the Bishop of Alexandria took issue with Chrysostom's convicting calls for holiness. So even the church is offended by him. Yeah. In 403, they led a movement to have John Chrysostom deposed. The people of Constantinople, however, were outraged and rioted in his support. John was reinstated the next day. Not, all fright- not at all frightened by this ousting, Chrysostom returned to his pulpit with the same message that got him removed. Quote, If you see the cause of religion suffering anywhere, do not prize concord above truth, but make a noble stand even to death. And even then, be not at war in soul, be not averse in temper, but fight with the thing only. For this is the important import of as much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. But if the other will not be at peace, do not thou fill thy soul with tempest, but in mind be friendly, as I said before, without giving up the truth on any occasion. Sadly, those he called to repentance would not pay him the same respect. When Chrysostom preached against Empress Eudoxia, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name, remarkable vanity, she had John banished in 404 on charges of treason. Treason. He died 3 years later in exile. So, I didn't know that. Right? I thought this guy was just a legend. He's like the, the John MacArthur of his day. Like, <laughs> you know, and and I mean, not he was an amazing preacher, but he was very controversial. And he was controversial not because he saw the controversy, if, if I'm reading this correctly, and this is accurate, but because he called people to repent of actual sins. And not just the people in front of him that he publicly called for the repentance of his city, for the repentance of his... His, of, of the nobility, for the repentance of the ruling class, for the, the actual idols of his day. Mm-hmm. He called those down. This just follows John the Baptist, who came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Matthew 3 says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he goes on to, see, to, to rebuke the Pharisees and Sadducees, who came to his baptism, saying, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come we we later read that um you know Herod had him beheaded because he was uh John was saying to Herod it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife this is Mark 6 and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death so John is put to death for telling the ruler um that his his act his it's his strange, life was immoral man. and So many people today would say, um, that's not your role, that's not your place, uh, that you're not actually preaching the gospel. Um, And then obviously this is, I mean, Jesus' life too. Yeah. So I just think we need a reorienting in our mind about what do we think the Christian life and and ministry is? And what do we think gospel ministry is? And if it's not a public call to repentance— uh, we have to ask ourselves if we actually have a real ministry.
0: Yeah, uh, I just finished spending uh, a lot of time in Colossians, mm. and it's striking. And you see this all through the New Testament. Once it's like one of those doctrines when, when you first see it, and then you start seeing it everywhere. You know, um, but these these lofty theological ideas are always paired with practical uh, practical living. It's like you know, so. Um, in in Colossians three, right? If you have been raised with Christ, so I mean that's a lofty theological idea. He's talked about being dead and being raised. Now you're joined with Christ in His body. He is the head of the church. Yes, all of this stuff, you know. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, and it goes on to list all these things. And it's like this all through the New Testament. It's there's always practical moral issues that are that uh, proceed these theological ideas Mm -hmm. and the topic of, of salvation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, you just can't divorce uh, that, that gospel message from holiness. Yeah. From like, how, how do I live? Yeah. Like, how do I live now?
1: Yeah. And they're not divorced. Like it's not, it's not moralism to teach people to be moral. It's, it's to teach them to be Christ like to teach them um, to walk in a manner yeah. worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him in the same manner, okay. yeah. right? Yeah. And the way that you receive Him is with repentance yeah. and faith, and so it's like, and that's a good, that's a good verse too, because it's not a different way. It's not like you believe the gospel in this way and then you live the Christian life in this way, but in the same manner that you received Him, so walk, yeah, right, and. You you can't say you've even come to Jesus Christ if the message that you responded to was not repent of sin and yeah. believe. And
0: you can't say you came to him if if you're not walking in the way he says to walk.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's like the call to repentance uh and faith is the gospel call. Mm. Like the call to repentance and faith in Christ is the gospel call is to preach the gospel and that gospel must be proclaimed publicly, which means the call to repentance must be public. Mm-hmm. So as Canadians, we have to get rid of this idea that the call to repentance is offside, it's inappropriate. It's something you do one-on-one. It's something you do one-on-one. It's after you develop a relationship with someone, um, which I, I've noticed that the people who do that, who say that, don't actually do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um but it, it's something, it's a responsibility that God has just given to his people, mm-hmm. especially preachers of the gospel, you know, to publicly call people to repentance. And here's, here's the rub. This is a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, for you to hear the call to repentance and for the Spirit to work through the Word, to awaken your heart to the beauty of Jesus Christ, to the dead end of your sin, and to um, the hope that you could have through new life in him – that is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And the doorway into that is through repentance. It's just, it's just like throwing people a a lifesaver when they're drowning, you know, it's, it's opening a door when they're just completely surrounded Mm -hmm. and entrapped. And, um, we ought not to be ashamed of that.
0: Absolutely not. And, uh, and the hear, hearing that on the CBC was, was pretty pretty awesome. I know yeah. Ben was a little upset. They they kind of cut um, what it actually means to repent. Like, yeah. you didn't get to describe what that meant. Yeah. But at least that call was there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, somehow it slipped past the editors, but uh, yeah. they, they probably just don't have any idea what it means. I mean, no. they, they don't seem to understand anything that we say. No. Um, no. No. Which uh, which is too bad, but we 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 pray that there'll be some fruit from that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Jacob Leeming, who writes for Dominion Press as well, did a great article today, um, and he closes. It's an article on repentance, hmm. recovering the lost virtue of repentance, and he he closes with this: In an age of stunning and nauseating self righteousness, Christians need to once again recover the message of a lethal and liberating repentance. Lethal in that repentance demands the death of our entire selves with all of our lusts, ambitions, cravings, and desires, and yet liberating since it is God's appointed means of raising us from death to walk in newness of life. There can be no hope for us as a nation, must, much less as individuals, until we begin to believe this truth again. The way to Christ and thus to the infinite wellspring of joy and life itself is through the narrow gate of humble Penitent faith, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise Psalm fifty one, seventeen. And I mean that's the hope too. The repentance is not a, a beating down. Yeah. Um, God does not despise or turn away anyone who repents of their sin. Yeah. Um, he will receive everyone who says. This is the wrong direction. This sin leads to death and I am turning to you for forgiveness. And I mean, that's, that's just an absolutely amazing thing. Um, Yeah. Praise Mm -hmm. God for that.
0: Yeah. So if you haven't seen that uh, 10 minute documentary, don't waste your time. Um, (laughs) We just (laughs) just told you everything you need to know. We just told you everything. Uh, The the other thing that struck me about it, uh, just one, one more thing is that they showed a couple scenes where, um in one of them one of the drag queens was crying and in another one the mother of one of the drag queens was crying and there's this there's this emphasis that if if somebody has had their feelings hurt and and they've been emotionally hurt that has given them now a victim status and they're immediately you're immediately supposed to sympathize with them yeah um i thought it was kind of funny though
1: well yeah <laughs> it's just part of this whole victim culture where you establish your morality by <coughs> establishing the degree to which you are a victim, right? More offended, the, yeah, yeah. The more of a victim you are, the more of a the more righteous you are. Uh, but I mean, the Bible says that there's a kind of sorrow that leads to death, mm-hmm. and there's a kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. <clears throat> and godly sorrow leads to repentance, and worldly sorrow leads to death. So like it's quite possible. Like I don't doubt that those fee- those tears are authentic. No, me neither. It's like, but we can weep selfishly and um, vainly yeah. and wickedly, you know, because we don't like that our kingdom and our throne is under attack. We don't like that people don't affirm us. Yeah, it's like that's not a sign of virtue. Yeah, that's actually one of the worst things about us is our self pity, um, because people don't. Do what we want them to do. Yeah, <clears throat> um, but I mean, we pray that that man's tears turn to tears of of godly grief and um, grief over sin, which leads to repentance, which leads to tears of rejoicing mm-hmm. for the life that he could have. Absolutely, and I mean, I tell people like the next Apostle Paul, the next Chrysostom could be presently a member of Antifa could be a drag queen yeah like god can absolutely do that yeah you know so we should we should pray we should pray that people do hear the call to repentance yeah and we life
0: i don't i don't think it's any more far-fetched that god could save someone like that than just someone that everybody else thinks is a pretty good guy
1: yeah it's like dead, you know, like peop, we, dead people are dead people yeah <laughs> <It's>
0: <laughs> we like, have this kind of hierarchy of yeah well, oh this person is is you know completely lost and this person yeah. hey maybe i got a chance. Yeah, dead is dead. Like yeah, a dead corpse. A
1: corpse is a corpse. There's yeah. no corpse that are more alive than other corpses. You know. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's let's talk a bit about uh, what you're reading. You mentioned a bit off air. Well, it's actually just on the topic
0: that you just uh, just said there. Uh, reading a, a, my first book by Cornelius Van Til, mm. uh, defending the faith. Nice. And uh, he starts off by sort of giving a, a brief biblical theology um, to sort of set set the uh, the course of his discussion. Right. And there's this section on uh, sin and salvation, uh, which is really good. Um, I'm going to read a whole paragraph. It's a bit lengthy, but <clears throat> we'll read it. Let's hear it. For this reason, we must observe at this juncture that the Spirit who applies the work of Christ is himself also a member of of the ontological trinity, he would have to be. Unless he were, the work of salvation would not be the work of God alone. If God was to be maintained in his incommunicable attributes, the spirit of God, not man, had to affect the salvation of man. The only alternative to this would be that man could at some point take the initiative in the matter of his own salvation. This would imply that the salvation wrought by Christ could be frustrated by man. Suppose that none should accept the salvation offered to them. In that case, the whole of Christ's work would be in vain, and the eternal God would be set at naught by temporal man. Even if we say that in the case of any one individual sinner, the question of salvation is in the last analysis dependent upon man rather than upon God, that is, if we say that man can of himself accept or reject the gospel as he pleases, we have made the eternal God dependent upon man, we have then, in effect, denied the incommunicable attributes of God. If we refuse to mix the eternal and temporal at the point of creation, and anyway, then goes on there, but um, <clears> there's <throat> a great, just a great point, like talking about how uh, if if we're at liberty to accept or refuse the gospel on our own, we've we've basically taken away uh, the truth that God is sovereign and and. Uh, all-knowing all and, mm-hmm. and is actually in control of salvation. Mm-hmm. And then the, the point about uh, the spirit being, of course, uh, part of the Godhead as he is applying that salvation to us. If mm-hmm. he weren't part of the Godhead and he was applying the salvation, then the salvation would be dependent on something other than God. Anyway, really, really uh, good stuff, I thought. The Dutch master. That's right. Apparently, you were telling me today he's a he was a... a dairy farmer. A dairy farmer. Yeah. Maybe that's why all the heavy duty theologians didn't like him.
1: <clears> yeah, the pretentious <laughs> elite. Yeah.
0: Anyway, good stuff defending the faith. I'm working my way through that, that'll be probably all year. It's a big one. I read those ones slowly. Yeah. Any uh what what's your next read? I know you said you were doing some biography stuff over the summer, but
1: um aside from the day-to-day, I'm actually looking for another biography. I Actually, I, I do have a couple I need to be reading, Yeah, a couple more I could read. I'm looking for a fiction. If listeners oh, have a recommended I'll, fiction. I'll bring you some fiction. Drop a line.
0: Uh, I've also got, if you're interested, a book of small biographies by Glenn Sunshine called 32 Christians Who Changed Their World.
1: Oh, I'd love to read that. Yeah,
0: I just finished it. It's really good. Great. So it's 32 people you've probably never heard of. Nice. Uh, that were Christians and had an effect on the culture around them and... You know, some were part of government, some were yeah. ministers or whatever. Anyway, it's really, really good. goes all through church history, too. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll bring that to you. You good? You got anything more to say? No, that's good, man. Well, we look forward to uh, to next time. Maybe we'll have a guest on next time or maybe we'll have an interview next time. We don't even know. Flying by the seat of our pants here on the Dominion podcast. But uh, thanks for joining us. I'll leave you with this. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. See you next time.